0: 2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us how we as Christians ought to live. Our Lord never sugarcoats or backs away from tough subjects. Our goals, dreams, and desires are to be surrendered to the will of God. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, to 34, how the Christian lives life on a daily basis. That's right, Christianity is a daily religion. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus demands unswerving loyalty to him and to his kingdom standards. You have one pursuit and it's God and his will.
1: I'm really excited about today's message because it's based on Matthew 6, and 34. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to that, those uh, verses. Uh, if you know me, if you've been my friend for any length of time, you know that my favorite verse, my life verse, is Matthew 6:33. About uh, two or three years ago, however, I added verse 34 as well, and you'll see why in just a few moments. But Matthew 6, really is the blueprint for Christian living. and So I'm excited to share that with you. And this morning, my prayer is that your eyes will be opened, that you'll be able to see a new way of living. For many of us as Christians, we are caught up in the ways of this world. We do things the way the world does. And Jesus reminds us that if we're going to be citizens of the kingdom of God, then we we have a different approach to life altogether. We, we're not like the world. We don't think like the world. Our hearts have been captivated by God. Our hearts belong to eternity, and we are people who think constantly of eternity with our God. But in the meantime, while we're living on this earth, Jesus tells us specifically how we ought to live. Now, one of the biggest surprises for me in the Christian life is that... As I get older, I'm discovering that the Christian life does not get easier. That was a big surprise. When I was younger, I would look at my pastor, at older Christians who seemed to have it all together, who who seemed to have sublime lives, where things seemed to go well for them. And uh, they, they, they had all their needs met, and they seemed to be happy. I thought that when I got to that age, that it would be much, much easier to be a Christian. But here's what I've discovered as I'm getting older myself, is that every season of life has its own challenges. Every season of life has its own tests and difficulties. Jesus tells us that that we will constantly be tested. This is why he tells us to pray in Matthew 6, 13 that last phrase of the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Another way to translate that would be, Lord, lead us through the times of testing. Help us, Lord, not to succumb, not to give in to the evil one. Nothing has changed. In some ways, I I wonder if I was more spiritual when I was younger, but the fact is is that Uh, I have matured in my faith, and I have learned well, discovered that God is with me every day leading me and guiding me, and every day is a day to mature in my faith and draw closer to God. But what I have to do is I have to learn what it is to pass every test, and the way that I pass those tests is by trusting God and doing God's will and not Alan's will. Think about that for a moment. This is what you and I are being tested on every single day. Life as a Christian is a series of tests. And your spiritual growth and development comes through surrendering, submitting to the will of God every day. You heard in that video clip just a moment ago that our faith is a daily faith. It's all about how to serve God, how to walk with God, every day now there's two ways to live you can live a worry-free life or a life full of worry you can live a life that is 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 full of anxiety a lack of peace a lack of joy or you can live a life of faith now what is a life of faith very simply let's just put it in practical terms it's it's believing god Believe whatever he says, and then do whatever he says. That's what the life of faith is. If you live the life of faith, Jesus tells us in this passage that we can then be worry-free because we can trust God. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But let me just quickly remind you uh, of what worry is. Most of us are experts in worry, but here's the definition. This is right out of, right out of I, I googled worry the definition, and this is what came up. To give way, and I've added surrender, because that's really what this is, to anxiety or unease. That's what worry is. I'm surrendering to anxiety or unease. Well, right away you recognize that this is wrong. Because we surrender, we submit only to God. We surrender to him, not to anxiety or unease. And then the second phrase, part of that definition, is to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Now, do you see that this is a choice? You have chosen to allow your mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles rather than on God. And this, again, is what Jesus is calling us to do. He's calling us to get our focus on Christ alone, or on God alone, on his will and his purpose. So we're all experts on on worrying, And really, to live a worry-free life is really what the Christian life is all about. We're learning now to focus on God. We're not allowing our mind to dwell on difficulty or struggle. We are are focusing our hearts and our minds on God alone. We are not surrendering to anxiety or, or unease. We are surrendering to God. This is what Jesus is talking about. I'm going to tell you, uh, when you're fixating on the future and on things that you need, on your health, what you're going to drink, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, remember that from last week, uh, you, you begin to recognize that there's a satanic scheme at work to cause us to get our focus off of God, to get our focus on ourselves, and to begin to be anxious and worried and to take life into our own hands. What happens is that we literally uh, try to be God. We try to take matters into our own hands rather than allowing God to lead us or guide us. You can quickly see why these, these two verses, Matthew 6, and 34, are my favorite verses, are my life verses, and it's how I've lived my life. Because this is the only way that I can know the peace and the joy of the Lord. Now, worry about the future, when you worry about the future, you're stealing your hope. Worry steals your hope, it steals your peace and joy. Here's what Paul said to the Christians in Rome. He said, I pray that God, the source of hope, God is a source of hope will fill you completely. Imagine that, being so full of joy and peace. So completely full. Because what? Because you trust in him. God is the source of your hope, and he will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. So this is what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about us trusting in God so much that We recognize that God is our source of hope. Not people, not things, not the lottery, not our job, not our career, not our friends, but God alone. And when you put your full and complete trust in God, then you will discover that God is indeed the source of your hope. Ah, Paul says, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's powerful. This is exactly the lifestyle that Jesus is describing. That's the lifestyle that Paul is discussing. Jesus teaches us how to trust in God alone and to have this this joy and peace. I I just want to ask you the question today. Is your hope in, in God alone? You know what you're, what you're hoping in based on, uh, on how you spend your money and, and how you spend your time and, and what you think about. If the bulk of your time is spent on things other than God, then you know that your hope is not on God. When you think about what you need, you start thinking about other sources other than God. Remember, God is the source. Then, once you've learned this and once you've established this in your heart, then you begin to have that peace that passes all understanding because you know that God will take care of you. Now, this is what it means to be a mature Christian. This is what it means to walk with God. And if you don't have joy and peace in your life, well, then you have to come to the conclusion that you probably aren't trusting in him. You're not trusting God. God probably is not the source of your hope. I'm not judging you or condemning you. What I'm doing is I'm helping you to see what's going on in your life right now. I'm helping you come to to, to a conclusion to help you make the changes that you need to make in your life so that you have peace and joy again. That's what we're talking about here. How can I have this joyful, peaceful, happy Christian life? And it's only by putting your trust in God alone. So this is why we are... uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, because we want to learn how to live as Christians. We want to learn what it means to do what God wants us to do. So I want to read to you, again, from Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And this is, again, a reminder to us not to worry. So here's what Jesus says. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and drink or enough clothes to wear? Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly father feeds him. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? I would say yes. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And of course, it's, it's a ridiculous question because you, you understand that absolutely not. Worrying adds nothing to your life. It steals your joy and it steals your peace. Look, at the Christian life is characterized by peace and joy. And so Jesus says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly, most certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith, Jesus asks. Two ways to live, by faith or full of worry and anxiety. I want you to, I want to speak to you right now. I want the Spirit of God to speak to you. Worry is a sin because faith in God is what pleases God. This is what it says in Hebrews 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. When you're living in worry, you are not putting your trust in God. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk to you about how you can have this life that's full of peace and joy. How you can live this life that pleases God. So don't worry, Jesus says, verse 31, about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, Gentiles, pagans. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Now just think about that for a moment. God knows what you need. In fact, he knows what you need better than you know what you need. (laughs) Think about that. Calm down, relax. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And let his peace flood your heart. Let his joy flood your mind. Ah. So rather than worry, Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. All these things, everything that you need, will be given to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, let's live daily today in a right relationship with God where we trust him today. Don't think about tomorrow. Just think about today. Now, let's look at verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else. The NLT adds above all else and his righteousness, and he will give you everything you need. I can tell you, I have lived this way. I first I first Matthew 6:33 really was quickened to my spirit, quickened to my understanding when I was in Bible school. And it literally changed the way I lived. It changed everything. I really sought after that to to seek the kingdom of God above everything else. This became my one pursuit, my one goal. Hey, listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this has to be your pursuit. This, is, this has got to be how you live. Now, I want to point something out. That word seek in Greek is zitete. It is a present imperative verb that suggests um, a never-ending quest, an ongoing quest. So it's not something that happens once, but it's something that happens every day, daily. It's a daily seeking first the kingdom of God, putting God, putting his kingdom above all else. In verse 32 jesus says that the pagans the unbelievers they're the ones that are on a never-ending quest to find clothes to find something to eat to find something to drink and jesus is telling us hey if you're born again if you're a christian then you belong to eternity you don't get caught up in temporal things, the things that are temporary, the things that are going to pass away, the things of this world. We are eternal beings. We have been transformed. We've been born again, born from above. We belong to eternity now, and so our focus changes. Our focus now is not on the things of this world. Our focus is on God alone. And here's what God does is part of, uh as part of his kingdom as he provides for the subjects of his kingdom this is uh maybe something that we're maybe a little unfamiliar with in in canada in modern times we don't we don't look to the king as the one who's going to protect us and make sure that we have everything we need i was listening to uh, um, a documentary yesterday about France's uh, king henry the i believe it was And his promise to his people is that there would be a chicken in every pot. He wanted to make sure his people were well taken care of. And he was a beloved king. Well, as good as that king was, he's nothing compared to our king, who has promised to not just put a chicken in our pots, but to make sure that every one of our needs is met. So much so that we have utter peace and joy. We don't even worry about these things. I'm going to tell you, this calls for a huge change in the way that we live. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, understand we're not talking about a geographical territory. We're talking about his reign or his rule, his authority over us. And as Christians, we submit to his authority. We say, Lord, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember that? We learned that when we went through the Lord's Prayer. This is our prayer every day. And I was just telling a friend this past week that, The the verse that has really gotten me through so much in this life is is that passage where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is facing the crucifixion. He knows he's going to die. And he says, God, if it's possible, let let there be another way. Take this cup from me. Take, Take this away from me and let me do something else. But at the end of the day, God, not my will, but thine be done. See, Jesus understood what it was to submit to the king of the universe. And that's what we are called to do, to submit to the king of the universe. So we seek first the kingdom of God above all else and his righteousness. Seeking God uh, and his kingdom is actually losing ourselves in obedience. In other words, we are fully devoted to obeying God. That's all that matters to us every day. You wake up in the morning, you stretch, you give God thanks, you praise him for another day, and then you say, God, what would you have me to do today? I want to do your will. That's what we're talking about. And this is how Paul describes his own life in Acts 20, 24. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. And the work this work is the work of telling others the good news, about the wonderful grace of God. The Apostle Paul literally lived like this. He sought first the kingdom of God. And what, we talk about the kingdom of God, what are we talking about? We're talking about doing His will every time. Do you know what holiness is? Doing God's will every time. Not doing your will, not doing what you want to do, but it's literally saying, "God, today I'm going to do your will." with your grace and strength. So here you are, you and I, we're on this never-ending quest to daily do the will of God. But would that describe what your life is right now? If you're a Christian, it ought to. You should be on this daily, never-ending quest to do God's will. You have time, you have treasure, you have talent, all of this comes under the authority of God. And God is the one who tells you how to spend your money, how to spend your time, and how to spend or use your talents. Hey, here at Cross Church, we just give God the glory and the thanks for all the people who have stepped forward over the years and said, "Uh, Pastor Allen, I want to give my time, I want to give my treasure and talent to the Lord. I want to be used by God. I want to seek first The kingdom of God. I want to do God's will. Hey, we wouldn't be in this building today if it weren't for people who were seeking first the kingdom of God, who said, I'm willing to give whatever it takes. We wouldn't be able to even suggest a goal of $36,000 if it weren't for the wonderful thing that, first of all, God has told us to, to go into Burundi and to do ministry there, but also because we know that there's people in cross church who are willing to seek first the kingdom of God. They're willing to do whatever God wants them to do, and they're willing to give. I, I fully suspect that we'll reach our goal of 36,000. We have 120 children to sponsor. And you know, this is what happens every year. We get these numbers from Delson in Burundi, telling us how many kids need to be sponsored. And it's like, oh, we can't do this. It'll never happen, but it happens every time. Can I ask you to listen to the voice of God and say, Lord, I'm willing to, by your grace, with your strength, Lord, by your spirit, to seek first your kingdom and do whatever you're calling me to do. We need to get these 120 kids sponsored. We need to reach the goal of 36,000 so that we can continue to minister to and care for our 49 churches in Burundi. This is the only way it gets done. It's it's God's people surrendering, God's people, not being manipulated by me, but but responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. There should be no problem sponsoring these children, but it takes people who are willing to say, God, I surrender my will to you. I surrender my money, my time, and my treasure. I give it all to you. You know, I was thinking this morning, thinking about talent being surrendered to God. I have a friend uh, who passed away some years ago, not that many years ago, who had a special ability. He had the ability to find water. And it, it, the thing is just, it's, it's bizarre but wonderful, and it works. And when Sergio Bersaglio discovered that this man had this ability, he asked him to come and find a well for them in, in Africa. And, and so this man decided, yes, he's going to do it. And he went on his own dime, paid his own way, went there, and help Sergio find a well for one of our villages. That is what we're talking about here. God, I'm giving you my time, my treasure, my talent. Whatever ability that I have, I'm giving it to you. Whatever I have in my pockets, I'm giving it to you. Whatever skill, whatever talent, whatever money, Lord, it's yours. Be glorified in it. So this is what, this is what we're talking about here. Seek first the kingdom of God. Pursue that above everything else. We're doing God's will And then it says, uh, and also seek uh, his righteousness. What do we mean by that? Well, if you remember going through the Beatitudes, the fourth Beatitude in Matthew 5, 6 states, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. For they will be filled. Here we go again. What Jesus is saying in verses 33 and 34 is a reiteration of what we've already learned in earlier passages. We're seeking, and we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and Jesus says, "What? Well, then you'll be filled. And uh, we're, not just, we're not just being filled with, with, with righteousness, and I'll explain that in a minute, but we're being filled with everything, everything that we need. It's, it's a beautiful picture of God's children depending on the Father. And when you become a Christian, This is what it says in Romans 8. You've been given the privilege, the honor of calling God your father. Until you're born again, you, you can't call him your father. He's not your father. He is a God that is angry at sin. Paul tells us in Romans that we are born enemies of God. But at that day that we put our faith in Christ, that we surrender to the Lord and we obey him, then suddenly the God of wrath becomes a God who is our Father. This is the gospel. This is the good news. When you surrender to God, you become his child. So what does it mean then to be righteous, to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Well, righteousness speaks of a right relationship between God and a right relationship with other people, righteousness. Sometimes that word righteous in that passage is translated as justice, becoming just, justified with God. But God is the one who makes that possible. And it also talks about just relationships with other humans, but it says so much more than that. It speaks of loving relationships with people. You, If you've been part of this church for any length of time, then you know that I always say that life is about relationships. Really, there's nothing else. It's having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another. This is what the Christian life is all about. So life is about relationships, and God wants you and I, in seeking first his kingdom, to also make sure that our relationship with him is right. That is, that we're living holy and pure lives in the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit, but also making sure that we have right relationships with one another. You can't call yourself a Christian and hold a grudge. It's not possible. I believe that you can be a Christian and, and feel angry and feel bitter and maybe feel like holding a grudge, but ultimately you are not allowed to hold a grudge. You're not allowed to, to, to be in a situation where there is a relational debt. That debt has to be paid. It has to be paid off. It has to be, it has to be forgiven sometimes a bank will forgive a loan and this is what you and I are doing people have offended us we forgive them we let it go and we we're doing this for the glory of god because we're followers of jesus christ so look at when you and I seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness having a right relationship with other people this is when we discover that god is meeting all our needs. There's, there's no footnote in my Bible that says most of or some of. It's everything you need. Now, if you live this way, then I can tell you you've got nothing to worry about. You don't need to worry about what's gonna, what, what God's going to do for you today and how God's going to provide for you. This is where the promise here of Christ kicks in, and he will give you everything you need. I love that, let's focus on that for a moment. He will give you everything you need. Look, Jesus is making a promise here. He's promising that God will give you everything you need. I want you to understand something about the promises of God. God always keeps his promise, no matter what. The psalmist, David, and, and the other psalmists, they talk about the promises of God. I just want to share with you just three of them real quickly. Psalm 119, verse 140. Your promises have been thoroughly tested. That is why I love them so much. God keeps his promises. David says in Psalm 138, verse 2, I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness, for your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. Think about that. Do you think that God will let his name be dishonored? Not a chance. Never in the history of the world has God ever allowed his name to be dishonored. So you know that when God makes a promise, you can go to the bank on that. Psalm 145.13, David says, For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. Did you notice that? He's talking about this everlasting kingdom, which is what Jesus is talking about. You rule throughout all generations, and look at this, the Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. When Jesse was about, my son Jesse was about nine years old, uh, he'd asked, asked me for something. I cannot even remember what it was that he asked for, but I promised him. I said, yes, you will get that. I will do that. And then he said, I'll never forget that he said, I love promises. Why did he say that? Because he knew that if his father and mother made a promise to him, there's not a chance that we would break that promise. He knew that if I made a promise to him, it was as good as having it in his hand. He may not have it this moment, but he knew it was coming. Well, that's the way it is with God. When God makes a promise you know that he cannot break his promise. He cannot break his promise. It's not that he won't, but he cannot because his very name is on the line, the honor of his name. Wow. So when Jesus makes a promise, it's as good as done. You know that you can go to the bank on that. I want the Spirit of God to fill your heart with faith right now to believe that he is going to do what he, what he promised. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need will be added unto you. Well, Glory and I have lived this way our whole married life. From day one, this, is, this was our life first. I've often thought I should make a Duncalf coat of arms and that would be the verse that would be under the coat of arms. And we've tried to teach... Uh, our our children to live exactly the same way because we know that if you are seeking first god's kingdom then you will be a happy person in this life you will have joy you'll have have a peace peace that passes all understanding so for this reason we don't worry and so jesus says in verse 34 he says so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries today's trouble is enough for today Jesus must have had a smile on his face when he was saying this. And I'm I'm guessing that this must have been a a, a saying or a proverb that would, would have been used at that time. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So what's Jesus saying? Christians must be in the habit of living today, not tomorrow, not in the future. I'm going to tell you this is how we live now in North America. We are living tomorrow in the future. We're talking about when we retire and saving money up for when we retire. There's a lot of people who are busy waiting till they retire. and Putting, sucking their money away. And they, they'll say, well, as soon as i got enough money socked away, then maybe I'll give a little bit of money to the kingdom of God. That's not how Christians live. No, we, we uh, don't live like this at all. We live today. We live our Christian life daily. Every day we walk with God, every day we go to prayer, every day we we talk to him, we allow him to talk to us. Christianity is is a daily walk with God. It's It's this relationship with God where we talk to him and he talks to us every day. This is the first habit we teach you if you're going to be a Christian here is that you, you need to have this daily walk with God where you're praying and reading your Bible. You talk to God through prayer, God speaks to you through his word and by his spirit. This is what Jesus is calling us to. So for this reason, uh, I, I don't talk about a three-year plan or a five-year plan. I get people asking me that all the time. What's, so what's the three-year plan for Cross Church? What's a five-year plan? That's not how we function here. When someone says, "What's your vision?" I laugh at that. Someone say, "If you want to make God laugh, tell him what your plans are." That's not how we live as Christians. We live every day. I remember a Chinese, a very precious Chinese pastor, when he was asked about God's leading in his life and about the future, because in China. Uh, well, you just never know what's going to happen in, on any given day. The government hates the church and does everything it can to persecute the church. So this Chinese pastor, his response was, he's, he says, I do this. Did you get that? He says, I, I, I put my finger in the air to find out which way the Spirit is blowing, what way the Spirit is moving. He said, I don't, I'm not worrying about tomorrow. Today, I'm... I'm trying to determine. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to discern what is God's will for me today. What does God want me to do today? And likewise, he discovered that God provided for him and met his every need in the same way. This is what real authentic Christianity is. Today, I'm. what does God want? Where am I going? I used to get people asking me questions like this. When will you get married? I got married Uh, later than my siblings, well, later than anybody in my family. I was 27. When will you have kids? How many kids will you have? When will you retire? And the list of questions goes on and on. And the, the answer to all of these is, I don't know. What way is the Spirit blowing today? I will do what God tells me to do today. I'm going to tell you, this is such a liberated, liberated and liberating way to live. It's full of joy and peace because now it's like God is in control and I'm just following him. I am, I'm seeking to obey him. I'm seeking to do his will every day. So don't ask me what my vision is for Cross Church. Don't ask me what my vision is for Cross Church Burundi, Cross Church International. I'm just taking it one day at a time. I know that Jesus has called me to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's what I'm doing every day. I don't know what will happen tomorrow. So we don't talk about what our vision is. Not our vision. This is is a, a pagan idea. No. Christians say, what does God want me to do today? This is why you don't talk about my vision. That's why there's no vision statement up anywhere in the church. We talk about our mission, because that's a mission given to us by God, but in terms of the future, that's in God's hands. Think about that for a moment. Well, there's a great movement in the church back about 25 years ago, and there's all kinds of conferences teaching pastors how to set vision and how to set their mission statement and how to make plans for the future. What's your three-year plan, your five-year plan? Where do you find that in the Bible? It's not in here anywhere. What is your dream? That's not in the Bible. That's not there. Talk about that pastor that got angry at me for not coming to his conference. And the the conference was all about how to to see your dreams come true. I don't want my dreams to come true. (laughs) Not at all. I've lived long enough to know that the last thing I want is for my will to be done. That's a catastrophe. No, I'm living my life so that I'm... I'm trusting God. I'm not worrying about tomorrow. I'm not making plans for tomorrow. I've got a vision for tomorrow. I don't have a dream for tomorrow. Today I am focusing on what God's will is for my life. And because of that, I have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. I know that God's going to meet my every need. When it was time for me to get married, God showed me who it was, and it was as good as done. That's the promises of God. Jesus has made you a promise that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything you need will be given to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your promise that you'd meet our every need. We have nothing to worry about. God, help us not to focus on tomorrow Help us, God, to stop speaking arrogantly about our vision, our plans, our dreams, what we want to see happen. God, help us, we pray, to be humble in your sight and to humbly do your will. As John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. God, help us to understand We are bond slaves, bond servants to Jesus Christ. We obey God, we do his will. He is our king, and we are gonna seek first then his kingdom and his righteousness. We're gonna do his will, and we're gonna make sure all our relationships are, are right. So give us the grace, we pray, to live this out so that we're not worrying about tomorrow, but we're living today. To the fullest, experiencing and enjoying God's provision, his peace and his joy. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Have a great life.